Due to rising cases and hospitalizations over the last few weeks, L.A. County has moved into the CDC's high virus activity level. Supervisor Barger alluding to the fact that none of the 38 counties already in the high transmission phase, including Ventura, is choosing to reinstate the mask mandates. Do you foresee any kind of mandates? I know you say you wear one. I've seen, you know, some people wear them on planes. Do you expect any mandates in any indoor spaces as we look ahead? You know, the thing about mandates, Hoda, To support the show and get access to our weekly bonus episode just for patrons that comes out every Monday, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism or request it at your local library, and follow us at deathpanel underscore. I had to help my grandma pre-order Health Communism to her <laughs> Barnes & Noble nook <laughs> yesterday, um, which was adorable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Walden Books. <laughs> <laughs> we have a friend who was like, I pre-ordered my copy from Walmart just for fun. Got to. Just Anyways. for the look. <laughs> Today we've got a nice big COVID episode for you. We're going to talk about Los Angeles County's announcement that they intend to reinstate an indoor mask mandate. But before we get into that, I just want to quickly run through where we are at right now with the pandemic. So as it currently stands, it's the 20th, we're in late July 2022, and globally the number of new weekly COVID cases has been steadily increasing for five consecutive weeks, and that's coming after a overall declining trend um, where we saw basically things looking better since the last peak in March 2022, but it is clearly not trending in that direction anymore, and it's becoming increasingly difficult for people to deny the fact that Despite the fact we're in the middle of summer, we are seeing a lot of COVID spread all over the world. And meanwhile, in the United States, cases are clearly exploding. And due to the ridiculously bad state of testing access in the United States, case numbers that are being reported are certainly much lower than they actually are, which is leading some pandemic minimizers to claim that cases are no longer a reliable metric again. But it's even getting hard for minimizers to deny that COVID is still very much a problem right now. So many of them have shifted tone from it's not a problem to it's a problem, but it's not my problem. And that makes sense because right now in the United States, over 99% of the population lives in an area with substantial or high COVID-19 transmission levels. Now I'm talking about the old CDC map that is basically all red. It's very hard to ignore for 12 weeks now hospitalization rates are rising in all regions of the United States, and we're seeing deaths at a steady and horrifying pace of around 2,500 to 3,000 COVID deaths a week. And I think it's worth putting that in context. That's about double the level of hospitalizations uh, right now that we were this time last year, which I have to admit actually sort of uh, astonished uh, even me. I was sort of expecting that we would be about kind of on par, that things uh, just hadn't gotten better, that they had sort of stayed about as bad as they were. But obviously, BA5, among other things, is, is sort of, you know, changing that. And, and things are, in fact, worse um, than they were. 
uh, right now as a year ago. Yeah, I mean, completely universal dropping of mask mandates. I think even more so than any individual variant. Right. Yeah. And, and that actually, in a way, brings us to our first topic, which is, you know, as we're saying, the pandemic is very much in high gear in the United States and all around the world right now. And speaking specifically to the U.S. context, remember when the new CDC community level system was implemented in late February 2022? And they were saying we're going to allow much higher levels of infection um, before masks are going to be recommended. But we were promised that once we hit these new metrics that uh, mask <laughs> mandates would be reinstated yeah, don't as worry. per the recommendations. We'll go back if and when needed. Uh, asterisk, right? Tools I mean, we that's, can reach for if we need them. Yes. Yeah, sure. Right, like an umbrella. Remember that line that Ashish Jha, you know, it's like an umbrella. You grab it when you need it. That's from before he was away. a White House official. You know, right, of they, course. Uh, I guess uh, dispensed with that one. I do want to point out too, before we get in, into this, the pandemic of the unvaccinated line. Happy birthday, by the way. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday to oh, the pandemic we... of the unvaccinated line. Yes, uh, July 16th, young? 2021. Uh-huh. So I don't know. What do you get a failed rhetorical construct for its anniversary? <laughs> yeah. Is this the paper year? I think um, it's the paper anniversary. Yeah, I don't know, but like um, a but, bill for emotional damages. But it's but it you know and it's funny because uh, while obviously this isn't the exact same thing, it does seem be before the we started recording. You you mentioned this correlation, which I have to admit I hadn't thought about in quite the same way, which is that just before things or just as things start to get bad again. That's precisely when you see the kind of chorus of don't worry about don't worry, be happy, right. uh, begin to sing most loudly. Right. I mean, that that's and, and I, I find that sort of interesting. It's like it's not actually at the moments when you actually do see a you know genuine decline. It's actually when things are getting worse that you hear that stuff most uh, clearly. And I, I sort of wonder why that is. Right. What What is it about? the kind of media reaction to, to these events that, that makes it the case that you uh, get these sort of things that which, you know, right at the moment where it's the least helpful to have that kind of uh, language <laughs> circulating out there. Right. I think this is an interesting point. I do think there's sort of a vintage of COVID crank, if you will, that does seem to be a pretty good barometer for when things are going to get worse, you know, in the next couple of months or something, specifically because they come out of the woodwork to more or less say, hey, I thought we were done with this. Like, what are you what are you all talking about getting mad about COVID still or again or, or talking <laughs> about it? And I think what we're uh, what we're getting to is and actually, I think this is a good corollary or a reflection of sort of the other half of the conversation um, extending from sort of what we were talking about last week in the main feed sentiments like ones expressed last week by people like Josh Barrow. Mm. Well, I think he used to be some flack on left, right and center or something. I don't he was even a KCRW remember host. how I first heard of Josh Barrow. I just I feel like I've known him as just like an annoying, pedantic asshole for a very long time he's one of these substack idiots basically so there's this post from him that went around last week that i think is actually really instructive because it shows i do think if you look at a lot of the covid coverage right now and how people are talking about it in media for example there is kind of a simmering underlying feature that i do think is sort of a you know we're done with this like why are you people worrying about this anymore Um, At least that's how I feel in terms of I I would have to assume that would be sort of the undergirding assumption based on how a lot of 
people tend to write about it or speak about it publicly. Again, not just in media, also to some degree in the administration, but in this case specifically among sort of a certain class of media people. And, you know, I think in this case, it's sort of like someone just coming out to uh, accidentally say the quiet part loud, Mm -hmm. basically, you know what I mean? Of saying, of standing up and basically saying, you know, like I imagine that the kind of discussions that some based on how things are talked about, I imagine that some of the discussions and the sort of impatience is also manifested in things like people probably privately talking about COVID in ways that will that are probably similar to what we'll get into with this Josh Barrow piece. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And for anyone that doesn't remember Josh Barrow, let me just like quickly contextualize like how you that, may have heard of him. I feel like that includes me. Like I, I sort of just see this guy's name. He's one of these people. It's like, ah, uh, yes, a person from Twitter. I, who, who's, background for writing about anything is just completely unclear. And I guess that's sort of most people. It's like, why, why is this guy everywhere again? I, I don't remember initially why he like became a thing, but what I do remember him for it is for being the guy that tried to sell the story of what he called the hamburger problem, which was that the real, I already hate this guy. I know the real electoral <laughs> issue going on in the Demo- democratic party is not, you know, any sort of tangible material issue, but it is really one about wait for it a pervasive tendency to make people feel guilty for their smallest personal choices, like eating meat and hamburgers, for example, which is why so this again, is the so, hamburger problem. So if so, it's really funny because he understands his critique to be uh, like a critique of progressives rather than the neoliberal in- individuation of responsibility and action, yeah, which, exactly. you know, essentially is like where he's at. You know, uh, politically. So I mean, that's I'm sensing that's a sort theme of here. Like people who can figure out that uh, individual individuated risk and personal responsibility is sort of bullshit. You know, they're they're like bullshit detector goes off when people start to talk to them like that. But then they just like completely misapprehend that. Then you go to I don't know, like structural critique as opposed to oh, the problem is that you should be you actually should be focused on individuated. Uh, (laughs) risk except for you don't need to shame people over it you just need to I don't know I guess nudge basically you need to do the nudge thing but also Mm -hmm. like or maybe not anything at all because that's their you know at the (laughs) end of the day that's like we don't owe anything to these people so because that's that's the thing ultimately about this piece that we're gonna get into that I think he's he's you know clearly this is like vintage him but at the same time it's playing I think or intending to play to a, a wider audience because it's sort of, you know, mistaking the point of focusing on the current level of uh, COVID spread and hospitalization for some, you know, failed uh, tactic of like moralizing about <laughs> risk for the point of A, just sort of recognizing uh, where we are and B, recognizing that the health system that we have in the United States, not just like public health measures, but also like any number of things that we tried pathetically to do to like make it easier for people to, you know, get vaccinated, get tested, protect themselves from a virus have now all fallen away. Like we literally, the whole idea that we have a set of tools for this is like, well, we never had a great set, uh, but then even the set that we did have is now no longer there even if, if, if things hadn't changed much from a year ago, the, the set of tools that we had 
have have sort of disappeared and so yes we will get worse at doing this so like this is he thinks of himself as sort of like this libertarian like modernist almost Mm. but in fact this is a pretty um you know backwards looking and uh it's like pre-modern just like consigning ourselves to fate uh (laughs) kind of strategy for dealing with things Mm -hmm, absolutely and i i just want to be clear that that this, you know, was an art, this hamburger situation that he debuted uh, situation. before the uh, 2018 midterm election, sort of in the run up to that, you know, he was just like boldly and nakedly pandering to the sort of conservative right as if that was like really sort of what the directional tack of the Democratic Party needed to be. You know, he was like, the Democrats, they're criticizing you for your hamburgers, your SUVs, for liking, you know, racist names of football teams and for holding gender reveal parties. And it's time the Democrats got out of your personal choices and stopped shaming you. And then they would finally fucking win in November. Blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. Right. Like this is just straight up. What we need is a Democratic Party that is more racist. Right. This is just white supremacist (laughs) apology. Right. So like I just want to be very clear that like this is Barrow's brand. Uh, he did this the last midterm election cycle around hamburgers. This time it's COVID. Um, and I think we should get into the piece. Yeah. So here's here's the thing that we're talking about. And then, and again, I just want to emphasize, um, I don't you know, I don't think that this individual is particularly important. I do, however, think that this really shows what I imagine from the general vibe of things. <laughs> a lot of people in uh, media and other positions, including in government, kind of wish that they could say. So let me start with this. So this post was called This Week in the Mayonnaise Clinic, which appears to be a um, running series of his, whatever the fuck that means. The return of COVID restrictions with the subtitle, Once Again, the COVID Forever Crowd is Out of Touch. It begins. Dear readers, there is another COVID wave, I guess. Have you read any of the press coverage of said wave? It's like reporting from another planet. Um, Then he quotes an article from the AP, quote, Some experts said the warnings are too little too late. It's well past the time that the warning could have been put out there, said Dr. Eric Topol, who has called BA5 the worst variant yet. So Barrow continues, The worst variant yet. Spooky. (laughs) And yet you are all tossing off your masks and jumping back into social gatherings. Do these people ever leave their basements? I love this framing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just pulling straight from the Trump, like, oh, it's fat people in their basements who don't talk to anyone who are oh cyberbullying me and hate me or whatever bullshit. Yeah. Buy into those uh, lovely stereotypes, Barrow. Go for it. Um, quote, a few months ago, I was doing a lot of complaining about the COVID forever people, but I don't do that anymore because they're mostly not very important anymore. What's this then, Josh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you call this post? Like, Big, I'm not mad, you're mad vibes coming from this. Um, Quote, the effective end of COVID forever was the April court decision tossing out the CDC's transportation mask mandate, which actually I feel like is more or less true. That was kind of like one of the last draws in uh, In terms of maintaining any control over infection rates. Uh, At a policy level, yeah. Um, Quote, team COVID forever lost. We went back to normal and they're all still whining on Twitter from their basements. But I don't have I mean, to engage in with point them. of fact, Team COVID Forever is not the people that you think it is. You are <laughs> on Team so. COVID Forever and it is right. it is you are winning. Do do indeed stop by a hospital statistic. 
Congratulations. Maybe yeah. he's so bent on like describing this experience of Team COVID forever being, you know, in a basement somewhere because he's describing his own experience, right? Right. Well, obviously, and, you know, to, to make sure that this is, uh, you know, stated very plainly, obviously, when he says Team COVID forever, he means people like us, basically, who are like, they need, we need to fucking do something about this. I don't know. Th- these are the same kind of people who say like, oh, you just want to you just want to make sure that people like mask forever. Or you just want to make sure you, you want to have like a forever lockdown or something like that. Right. As though, yeah. Um, or like, it's like Express is like, you know, people were like talking about COVID as their whole personality who are just obsessed with COVID and they can't let go of the state of emergency. You know, it's this kind of condescending framework as if people who talk about COVID didn't fucking wish so hard they could talk about literally anything else. Right. So Barrow continues, quote, it's not that I don't think COVID is an ongoing problem. It is. But I don't think coverage of the vicissitudes of rising and falling case rates tells us much that's important about what to do in our daily lives anymore. At this point, most of us have considered the risks and settled in on a level of protection that feels right to us. COVID is one of many risks out there. We have information we need to decide how to manage that risk to a level that is acceptable to us. So to this, I would just Which say, is why we, of course, never get sick. And uh, <laughs> when, when we do get and when we do get sick and die, we've planned on it. And I'm just glad <laughs> that we've evolved to this point in our in our future where where we've been able to. I mean, I have an app now, which is really great, which helps me figure out when I'm going to to get it. And right. so I just plan on it and you know, it's cool. I just sort of, I get, you know, get all of the, get all of the, the good movies that I've been waiting to watch sort of going and, and uh, you know, oh just God. get ready for it. I've made I mean, all of the life decisions that I need to make for the next 20 years of my life. I will die at exactly like, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's the same vibe as that piece in the LA times this past week that was like, Listen, you know, honestly, in this moment where everything is so terrible and horrible, kind of like COVID brain fog is a blessing because, you know, it's actually really difficult to focus on anything. And that in and of itself is like a kind of vacation, which I think, you know, um, is self-evidently a horrible thing to say. I mean, so like so the the point is like what, what he's trying to capture here is that like. Uh, for a variety of reasons, including uh, but not limited to a decisive shift in elite media cue maker behavior, you know, people have not deliberately chosen a different taste for risk. They've they've simply uh, a lot of people have sort of mimetically engaged in different sets of behaviors. And it's not as if they are have become miraculously more risk acceptant. If you, if you were to ask people about their level of like risk tolerance, I doubt that it would have changed that much consciously as a result of their own, like changing processes. They're simply doing what feels right because it is like normed in a different way. So like to, to say that this is something other than just like a mass sociological effect is insane. Like, I just don't (laughs) see how it's like, yes, I, I mean, you know, just even personally, it's like, have I deliberately chosen, chosen like a different set of behaviors? No. Am I engaging in perhaps a different set of behaviors? Yes. Why? I don't fucking know. It's sociology, right? Like it's. <laughs> well, no. And I, I think that this is like, this is like a really important thing to drill in on. Right. Because one of the things that I think Barrow is saying here, and this is like a common argument, right? This is not just him. This is more evident of a general vibe is that 
you know, he is really in this sort of statement of we have made decisions about what to do in our daily lives. We don't need more information. We've considered the risk and settled on, you know, any acceptable level of risk and protection for us. What he's really doing is sort of enforcing and policing these boundaries of like, no, COVID is a personal responsibility issue. This is your private uh, medical decision about your own risk tolerance. And when people tell you right now, listen, this is not about personal responsibility. This is about collective risk. This is a population level you know, issue. This spreads through the air. And therefore, to keep me safe, you need to keep you safe. And we need to all like come together to mask. And this is about a sort of collective response. He goes, no, those people are full of shit. This is about your personal choices right. like hamburgers sodas, your SUV, whether or not you want to kill someone with your gender reveal party or not. This is your personal decision. Don't forget that. Don't listen to those people who are trying to seduce you with a kind of collectivist logic about interdependence and, and uh, you know, public health. This is this is America. This is private health care. This is a private health world. Right. Society getting COVID is a uh, choice between her and her doctor. Um, <laughs> the Right. And I think that I think the only thing that I would add to all of that that both of you said is that I think the real tell here is whenever you hear something like this, I'll just read the last that last line again. Quote, COVID is one of many risks out there. We have the information we need to decide how to manage that risk to a level that is acceptable to us. Unquote. You know, whenever you hear risks that are acceptable to us, ask for whom ask mm-hmm. who the us is exactly but it's like, not in that we it's, yeah yeah it's very obvious that um josh barrow is speaking for a very specific contingent of people who do for instance maybe have some degree of discretion over the safety of their work environment i can't imagine that josh barrow does much except for sit in front of a laptop all day you know so anyway um not to whatever like me <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like me no um so barrow continues quote Um, The issue is not that people haven't been educated about the latest developments or the risks. It's that they don't necessarily share the value judgments or the cost benefit analyses that prevail among the very peculiar set of people who get masters of public health degrees. (laughs) I do think there are important things the government should be doing about COVID in particular vaccine development and the approval process. And again, he's one of these people who just whines about minor regulatory uh, shit. Like we, like I talked about in the last episode, like Matt Iglesias Um, with his challenge trial line. Exactly. But, but the COVID fanatics are always more interested in interventions that create facsimiles of religious penitence, low efficacy (laughs) mask mandates, not true. Uh, Masking and mask mandates are, pretty effective an abandonment of social gatherings and more broadly finding every way possible to suck the joy and togetherness out of life. There is very little remaining at public appetite for this. And as a result, they have been marginalized. Then he of course goes on to, uh, at greater length, basically complain about the idea that Los Angeles could, uh, even, even entertain the idea of putting a mask mandate back in place. Okay, so here, here's here's what I'm going to say to this, right? Which is, let me just let let let's take everything that he said as as true. I'll I'll grant. Uh, what if I I just grant him the idea that uh, you know he's right that um, it's it wasn't the sort of government deliberately sort of changing policy and public attitudes like responding in kind, which 
By the way, the rolling poll data would suggest that that's in fact what happened and not what he's saying. But let's just assume that he's right, that it's the absence of like public tolerance for, I mean, a level of government sort of regulation of social life, which, by the way, never actually existed, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the way that uh, I think some more extreme versions of the story go. Yeah. Um, But let's assume that, you know, okay, that this that even masking is is marginalized for a good reason because people genuinely don't want to do it okay and that they that people are in fact that the demos uh <laughs> is willing to make this risk that they have consciously decided in this folk theory of democracy to accept a level of the 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 trade off um you know uh of of you know the the joy of like not wearing a mask in a fucking grocery store uh, that, that that particular joy is worth the risk of, of, of like getting sick and maybe infecting somebody else that that's worth it. Um, okay. Uh, let's say that's true. Then whose responsibility is it for the deaths? <laughs> is it the Demos's responsibility? Is it the responsibility of like the mass public? That's there. Then in a way uh, the, you know, the locus of blame should be put onto them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> alternatively, Right. Is it the case that we have had a like we came into the pandemic with a fucking just abominable public health system and system of individual medicine, which we have decided, which I should say not we, but uh, the political elites have decided not to change in response to the pandemic, not to change in terms mm-hmm. of masking, not to change in terms of how easy it is to get, you know, the basic aspects of, of healthcare, not, you know, no, sick, no change. Sick leave. Right. Yeah. No, no change in terms of sick not leave. Not just not to change, to double down on. Yes. Yeah, let the, the fucking like medical uh, facility OSHA guidelines just expire unceremoniously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, so I, it has to be like one of two things has to be true. If it's the case that we are all as risk acceptant as he says, right? Granting that it either has to be the case that then the responsibility for the deaths uh, and continued hospitalizations and just the wearing down of our health systems is either the responsibility of all of us arm in arm. We are all responsible for these, you know, just fucking depraved uh, health outcomes Or it has to be the case that it is the choice, not of us, but of political leaders not to really do anything, not to take the pandemic seriously. And whether, you know, whether you want to make that into a conscious choice uh, that they actually didn't want to because they they needed to preserve the system as it was, or that the system of decision making, the the sort of the, the political institutions are so broken that they couldn't make those decisions even if they wanted to. I mean, I'm sort of indifferent between those two different positions. I think that there's there's an element of truth to both of them. I think that there are, uh, you know, obviously, um, it's not like uh, the most powerful players in the health policy arena really wanted to see any sort of major change in the system to emerge from this, uh, you know, even going beyond pretty pretty narrow temporary measures is, is something that didn't want it, but, but it's, you know, regardless of, of which of those two motivations is true. It can't be the case that the people, even if they are as risk acceptant as they are, willed this into existence. 
Like, in other words, for what he's saying to be true, even if you like grant a lot of his assumptions, which are, I think, you know, Spacious. best contestable. Yeah. Um, then a democracy has to be working at a very high level that basically nobody thinks it's working at. You <laughs> well, know what I, I mean? Like no, to, to like sure. to, to lodge the blame in like the public and to say that like it's it's our changing level of risk acceptance. Like but because ultimately, and the reason he can't get to any of this is because there's no willingness to actually engage with the question of who is who will be to blame for the bad outcomes when they ultimately occur. Right. Because that's an intolerable thing to defend. You can't defend it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a certain sense, you're almost giving him too much credit because I think in terms of like all of those political questions that you're raising, it's to me, I read this and I'm like, this, this is an example of writing from a ideological place of being so deep in sort of personal responsibility brain. that I don't even think that there's a question of demos here. I think it's just, there, there is maybe uh, like a, a shadow of one or something um, that he kind of vaguely gestures towards suggesting that we collectively are over masking or over um, taking, you know, again, collective actions or pushing collective pressure on the Biden administration, for instance, to do any of these things or on state officials or local officials um, to to do something even as simple as institute a mask mandate, I think. This uh, what what I'm getting at is is best exemplified actually when you look at how he characterizes um, people who, you know, in while in one sentence it's it's oh these you know fucking annoying pricks who are sitting in their basements and have MPH degrees and are just yelling on Twitter and the and they're you know ir- irrelevant but somehow <laughs> somehow relevant enough to require a response like this. Um, on the other hand he says you know that these are fanatics that are uh again you know interested in interventions that create facsimiles of religious penitence abandoning social gatherings sucking joy and togetherness out of life etc these things that he's describing if you look at just the way that he's characterizing things he's talking about it's he's doing this this work again of being like oh these are just scolds who are saying you know, despite the fact that I, a, you know, enlightened substack individual have deigned for myself that my individual risk, you know, assessment is such, and therefore I can just go around and live my life and, and fuck it and fuck everybody else. And, you know, fuck myself if I'm not right about that risk assessment, that if there was, for example, you know, you're locating this thing and who would be to blame in this framework, it's almost as though if, uh, it's not almost as though, I mean, I think the subtext here basically is if, you know, Josh Barrow wants to go to Ralph's or something or some other, you know, grocery store chain and not wear his mask, that's completely his right because he's made his risk assessment. And if he happens to get someone sick and that if that person happens to die, it's kind of on that other person, right? Because that other person didn't actively take their own risk assessment into their own account. You know what I mean? It, that it, it's that's on exactly that true. The, that the thousands of people dying every week still, that it's on them, you know, that they didn't do their risk assessment, right? That they haven't. And that's always been the, that's always been in some ways the underpinning of the death pulled from the future framework. Absolutely. But, you know. Absolutely. And that, that is what's going unsaid in the mayonnaise clinic piece that he wrote. You know, and and I say that so confidently uh, informed by the hamburger situation that I mentioned earlier, which is like 
the entire too, too much, are there condiments too, going to be mentioned here like too much fast food well, talk in this episode I would episode. like to point out that like it's We're never talking it's about very Josh. hungry boy I never am talking I'm going to say Josh this is Barrow a very hungry again. boy <laughs> it's oddly eerie how much of his intellectual life revolves around hamburgers and condiments but I'll Whatever. leave that aside <laughs> so you know his critique in the hamburger situation is that <laughs> Is, is valid one, right? It's a valid critique of the kind of policymaking that we make fun of all the time from people like Michael Bloomberg and the sort of soda ban um, or, you know, the sort of war on obesity, which is pointing to a real problem. He's pointing to a real phenomenon. Yeah. Pun- right? Punitive liberalism is bad politics. I don't care who like it's just shitty politics developed by professional <laughs> managerial class people. Right. I mean, yes, that's yes. true. And And like, yeah, we would agree with you. Like the the hamburger situation uh, exists and is bullshit personal responsibility logic. Does it explain the political failures of the Democratic Party? Are you fucking serious? Absolutely not. Right. And what is going unsaid here, right, is that COVID policies are not Bloomberg soda bans. Right. These are completely contextually different approaches. People are calling for paying people to stay home when they're sick, providing resources to stand up public health infrastructure, like data infrastructure, contact tracing, you know, actually staffing public health departments. People are calling for protections to make sure that our teachers are not all getting long COVID, that our children are not care for people who are uninsured. Right. Vaccination for people who are uninsured. Vaccination in general, too. I mean, the United, like the Biden administration has done nothing but drop the ball on boosters. The state of like children's vaccination is a fucking abysmal, especially in the context of how many children's deaths are being added to the tallies by the CDC week after week. I mean, we are looking at the second highest level of child hospitalizations. Like we're coming up to that second highest peak of before the Omicron peak. So we're going to be competing here for which is the top three peak of child hospitalizations in the United States in the last, oh, I don't know, year and a half. And that's a fucking failure, right? But like describing the interventions to those problems is not a description of the kind of policies that like, we would agree this hamburger situation critique could apply to, right? And that's not actually the policies that Josh Barrow, for the record, applies the hamburger critique to. He applies it to sort of culture war issues by saying, you know, liberals don't want you to have your gender reveal cake. Therefore, you are morally bad. But COVID policies fundamentally are not actually this kind of liberal framework that he's describing of the government imposing a sort of stigmatizing moral framework on people's personal behavior. Well, that, that's why it's important that the imagination of who these people are and what they're demanding is that they're just scolds. Right, that they're exactly. behavior scolds, not, you know, like we've talked about even last week, not, you know, demanding more of a state that has obviously abandoned them. Right. And that is obviously, frankly, transferring all of the debt and destruction and sickness and lost wages and lost work and lost, you know, society functionality that we're going to see over the coming months is not a public problem, not a society problem, not a state problem, but a personal problem. And so what he has here is this critique of 
absolutely bullshit personal responsibility dogma, which is predominant in United States policymaking. Like, we're all very clear on that. And yet he's using this critique of that kind of vibe in the service of making more of that kind of policymaking, which is, you know, which is the sort of strange, sad part about, like, the continuation of his broader hamburger project, right? Which is, this is a man who, for years now, keeps selling this bad, wrong, mistaken, and misleading story about sort of the future of policymaking and really what's going on in in the Democratic Party, right? He's portraying himself as a kind of soothsayer for the real people, right? And all he's doing, all he does is just take systemic issues and translate them into fucking personal responsibility bullshit, right? And so many of these people where that's all they do, right? They're branded as the ones rallying against personal responsibility right now because they've sort of captured the framework of saying, oh, no, anyone who advocates for COVID protections is calling for Bloomberg like soda bans. And that's just so fucking far from the truth. Let's let's talk for a second about L.A. County is putting right, like what he's actually ma- complaining about. Yeah. I mean, because there's of course, this is like the air guitar of, uh, you know, <laughs> just like going going on about whatever. But um he is he's living in L.A. County and L.A. County is, I guess, putting a mask man, mandate back into place, um, which would make it probably one of the only counties in the country doing that. But but I think it's worth kind of noting, remembering back to the spring, like the only reason why we saw a major shift in federal policy, the only thing that sort of like justified changing CDC guidance, which would have you know, which now makes counties like L.A. an outlier was a deliberate attempt to shift the way that we think about, you know, what spread is, what risk is that has essentially landed us in the place where now hospitalizations are worse than they were a year ago. And so, like, that's the thing is, like, he's sort of like the, the sort of like uh, feigned exhaustion and, and uh, you know, you know, Morrissey level ennui uh, that you're seeing here is just like. Um, it is, it is a, the, the only reason that that's like possible to do, you know, in a rhetorically is that LA is now an outlier County. There are not too many counties doing this. And the only reason that's the case is that you had this, you know, shift in CDC guidance, you know, back in the spring, which right. I think we can all agree has been abominable. Right. So, I mean, returning, returning to this piece though, I think you bring up a really important point, Phil, which is, I think we should get into what he actually is upset about because this gets to kind of the the big issue which is i do think the thing that he is in particular getting mad about is actually a really important you know potential flashpoint for at least the next couple of weeks but also uh, a really big indicator for um what's going to be happening as we go into the fall with covid because with la bringing its mask mandate back um, or at least being supposed to as you're mentioning it's one of the few places that's going to do this um, as we've sort of telegraphed and mentioned before, the uh, CDC community level system, which we've critiqued for months now, as soon as it was instituted, sent more or less the all clear on masking. It is now even, uh, you know, even now we're getting to the point where it's like, what, 85% of um, counties have either a medium or high community level. So mm-hmm. even now, even the, the pastel map is right. So as right. So as we've mentioned, even now the map that like tops out at orange as opposed to red mm-hmm. um, is rapidly approaching a point where it will be largely orange. What what high community level 
means what it signifies is supposed to be a it's it's you know technically a recommendation for masking um but it is supposed to you know guide policy so the idea is that places like la county would see that okay we are approaching or we have a high community level um meaning not only that transmission is high like mm-hmm. COVID transmission is high but also that the hospital system is coming under strain mm-hmm. um that there's high COVID hospitalization and so and therefore you know look at that and say all right let's bring back masking right and the question is you know will i mean will los angeles hasn't done it yet they've announced that they will will they finally carry through with it will other places do this especially in the fall and the answer you know as we've been seeing across the country i think the answer has largely been no so far um we can talk about the case of uh new york in a second i think (laughs) but the i think you know the interesting thing about this is actually to return to to barrow's piece for a second i think it's actually kind of funny how he sets this up so he just picking up basically where i left off quote there is little remaining public appetite um for covid interventions and as a result they have been the covid forever people quote unquote have been marginalized except in los angeles county which is likely to soon bring back its indoor mask mandate again then he goes on a long tirade about barbara ferrer la's public health director which is just you know a cool great thing to do just like rally against some- oh, of course and like one of the things that barrow likes to like lament about is like well there's just not enough public trust in government and and public health officials have squandered all their trust <laughs> well that's like do asmr are you trying to do so asmr <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, you know, yeah, that's what we like to call irony, right? The people who are so, so concerned about trust in institutions are themselves the people who are like, yeah, but not those institutions. Right. Anyway, um, so uh, he then after this sort of tirade against this one public health director, he says, quote, of course, the conceit about the mask mandate is that it isn't at Farrah's discretion at all. There's a formula based on how many people are in hospitals with COVID, and she just does what the formula says. She's following the data, but it's within her power to set, change, and disregard the formula, unquote. And so this is kind of what I, I think we should maybe at least address for a second, which is, you know, while I think he's taking a pretty awful tack on this, he's not wrong about that particular part. And this actually gets to kind of, I think, a essential sort of tension with the very idea of bringing back mass mandates that we've seen play out a little bit already that also makes me very concerned i think for i mean we, we've we've talked before i think in the past about how we're very concerned that it's unlikely to see mass mandates come back again even if things get very very bad mm-hmm. um like you know in the fall for example but it does I, I think seeing it play out and the specifics of how it's playing out and specifically with again this community level system as the bedrock of or as you know the main signifier that people point to right mm-hmm. i don't know it, it's tragic because it just feels like we've been watching a slow motion car crash for months now right and i i think you know you see such tremendous effort from people like barra from people like vanai prasad from the whole great barrington crew you know all of the minimizers have come out in force pretty much immediately as soon as it was announced that if if LA County stayed at that level of transmission that they were going to implement the indoor mask mandate in order to lower transmission, right? And of course, this this fact that that's kind of the hinge point that lowering transmission is the stated goal, right? And this is the objective that LA County has sort of announced that it wants to go for. 
that's not at all being discussed by any of the people that are trying to lampoon the potential mask mandate that may come on the 28th of July. And 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 I think that's very telling, right? Because they think it would be really ridiculous for someone to argue well, and all these people want to just, you know, stop people from getting sick. And that's so fucked up and judgmental and bullshit, right? Of course, you're not going to mention that, oh, the objective of the mask mandate is not to judge your personal choices. It's to convey the fact that right now masking is highly, highly useful as an intervention when COVID is everywhere, right? The idea of a mandate is not enforcement fines, mass cops, any of the bullshit that, that that people kind of force you to try and get into a conversation about, right? Which really directs you away from what is the purpose of a mask mandate, right? Like what actually is the reason that a mask mandate is a good idea when transmission of a respiratory virus is really high? Well, that's because it reduces the amount of virus in the fucking air. It's pretty fucking simple. And a mandate conveys that it should be done, right? <laughs> it's about public communication. It's about conveying severity, urgency. It's about creating clear guidelines about when it is good to mask indoors versus when it is not as necessary, right? Which is in your home, perhaps. Like, this is an opportunity for communication. It's not about policing or fucking authoritarian power grab by mad public health officials who were obsessed with their newfound COVID power. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, do you hear yourself? Seriously? I mean, exactly. And again, I just want to, you know, circle back to what has already happened in other places, because it's not like, I mean, if if you think about it, okay, so again, the, the promise was, or not was not really a promise, but the suggestion, I guess, um, because everything is just a recommendation now. Um, the suggestion that the CDC made was we'll, you know, reach for the masks again when we need them. Like this new communication system, the community level system will uh, tell us when to reach for them. Um, we are now at a point where it is, uh, you know, not only is 85% of the entire U.S. population, according to the CDC, in a medium or high community level, 55%, literally half are in that high community level. And, you know, I don't think just based on cursory glancing around that 55% of places generally uh, currently have mask mandates. So like clearly already a lot of the work has, you know, a, a lot of this, a lot of this work of kind of like obscuring what is even going on or what the, or, or what the sort of picture looks like or the, the relevancy of things like masking, like a lot of that work has been done already. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think in particular, you know, it's just interesting to consider the case of Los Angeles, for instance, against what happened in New York pretty recently, which is just a couple of weeks ago um, of a quote, as I think we mentioned on the show um, uh, about a month ago or so, uh, Eric Adams, the cop mayor of New York, <laughs> said, um, you know, when, when New York hit high community level, right, when when New York hit the CDC's high rating for COVID, Eric Adams said, you know, pretty unilaterally, like, okay, well, we're not going to put a mask mandate back. It just doesn't, you know, feel like the time or whatever. Um, more recently, the city actually went so far also as to scrap it's the system that they had developed um, to be a color-coded risk warning level system. Yeah, which they COVID. had, by the way, only set up in March of this year. Right. So they had just they had literally just made it. They and set yet, it up. They're like, this is for the new landscape of the virus in well, March. And well, then, in, you know. Yeah. And then, well, and then the punchline is that just recently, here's the quote that I alluded to. 
um, when asked about why they had, you know, just scrapped this only a few months after having developed it, Eric Adams, again, the cop mayor of New York, said that, quote, the color coded system was fighting an old war. And as COVID shifted, it became a new war. <laughs> so we're not going to hold on to something that's an old weapon merely because we had it. No, we're going to create new weapons to fight this new war. It's almost as though you're using old weapons to fight a new war. The color-coded system was fighting an old war. And as COVID shifted, it became a new war. So we're not gonna hold on to something that's an old weapon merely because we had it. No, we're gonna create new weapons to fight this new war. So it was good for the old war of the variants we were fighting. It was not good for the war that we're currently fighting. As though substantially you know, anything me, has changed about this <laughs> enough to make it so that, oh, too, too bad your new, uh, too bad the system that you developed in March is now telling you you probably need a fucking mask mandate. So I guess that's just fighting the old war now, right? Someone once told me that a surefire way to know that someone knows nothing about what the fuck they're talking about is by trying to see whether or not they speak entirely in metaphors. <laughs> and if they, if they do, you can be almost certain that they... They uh, their apprehension of of the world is limited at best. Well, and I think it's I mean, this also, you know, obviously, I think you're right. All of this statement certainly shows that, you know, we don't even need the statements to know that Eric Adams doesn't know shit about COVID, obviously. Like, why? Why the fuck would he? Um, famously, cops know a lot about COVID. They're like really great at it. Um, they're, I mean, they're super at getting it. They, well, I mean, they don't know a lot about COVID, but they know a lot about it. But they know a lot about tactical COVID, which is different. <laughs> tactical COVID's complete. I just want to highlight that that they have the tactics to deal with tactical COVID. But you know, even with these statements, so he's. It's funny because I think what this actually preys on, and what I think the easy justification for a lot of places saying like, "Oh no, well, you know, the it says high community level, but we don't really need to bring mask mandates back, right?" You could see that being just said. Um, you, not only you could see that actually, I mean, you, you do see that being said all over the place when when local officials oh, are yeah. asked about this. It's right? the Leonhardt like the, masks work, but mandates don't. Well, but and but. and also or uh, not even masks work, but mandates don't. But just just saying like you know that was sort of the old COVID. That right. was the, sort it's of the, the old framework. COVID. And meanwhile, it's just highly ironic because even just this morning. Um, you know, there was a Politico piece that was headlined. Um, I think it was, uh, I have it right here. Quote, COVID cases are skyrocketing again. States have no new plans. And it's so messed up because so much of the narrative right now even is this sort of, um, it's almost like a, you know, not to be super millennial and just always have everything be a Simpsons reference, but it's like the, we've tried nothing. We're all out of ideas thing mm -hmm. because the, the fact of the matter is like, we don't need new weapons. We know what works. We've always known what works and it doesn't matter if we do have tools like paying people to stay home or mask mandates or things like that. A number of other things that we've talked about at length over the course of, you know, the last several years, doesn't matter if we know what those things are and know that from wave to wave, variant to variant, yes, the plan doesn't change substantially. And that's okay because it's not like every variant is literally a completely novel new fucking virus. And to say, oh, well, you know, yes, sure, there's a, there's a new variant, but 
you know, mass mandates still work. We could try that. Do you want to try that? And for the answer to always be no is completely counterproductive while also simultaneously, it's important to remember like, okay, well, just because the tools that we need to use to, you know, quote unquote, fight this new war or whatever against, you know, BA five or, or what have you, whatever comes next, just because the tools don't change that we need to use to combat it doesn't mean that the urgency shouldn't be there. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's I, I do feel like this is something that's being completely missed in this uh, conversation because it's it's always it's so easy to to just throw to, oh, well, maybe it'll be a new solution because clearly the things that we've tried so far haven't worked. We haven't. There's so much that we know that works that we haven't even tried. We really. barely have tried explaining to people what they're supposed to do once they're infected. Right. What sure. they're and, supposed and, to do once they're exposed, even. Barely. Right. And I, and I think that it's like, it's very, you know, it's it, like one thing that you can do in response to that failure is like, well, no, no point in talking about it because we didn't have like the political will, quote unquote, to, you know, get this stuff passed or the, those, those tools sort of used by the executive branch of government. But like that has an independent effect on the conversation. Just you're pretending as if, you know, we're operating at some like high quality, steady state of government and that, oh, we've we've tried everything and it hasn't worked does actually reproduce a, a an incorrect point that that everything is futile. That's why these people yeah. are all becoming mm-hmm. like nihilists and fatalists. They are either consciously or unconsciously simply, you know, in the case of Barrow, obviously, like for, for ideological reasons, in part not talking about all of the things that we could have, but did not do. And like that, I do think is the, where, where it trickles down to the sort of the mass level. It does just sort of, it's stripped of any ideological content. And it's just like, literally these things aren't being said. And so it becomes the common pervasive belief that there's nothing that we can do. And then this is, it's not something that we're willing to tolerate, but it's something that we um, are because it doesn't seem like there are any alternatives being forced to accept. And I think that that's the thing that like these, The, the guys who like to trot out things like cost benefit analysis and like mm-hmm. risk tolerance, it's like there's a real difference between risk tolerance and what and the kind of risk that people are because there doesn't seem to be any alternative. Um, and because, you know, the quality of democratic politics is so weak that people feel that they have to accept. And I feel like that's the real, you know, to me, the thing that emerges from this is just that. You know, if you want to understand the the sense of futility and fatalism, it's important to recognize the process that leads people to feeling like they have that they are forced to accept the uh, mix of outcomes that currently exist. I mean, yeah. that's that's, I think, the process to try to understand. Right. Well, because, I mean, frankly, the only new tools or whatever that I think I continually see developed in terms of the covid response or rhetorical policy yes exactly are rhetorical tools that amount to figure it out yourself or amount to you know dying hey maybe don't worry about it right (laughs) no and honestly i think we're just kind of caught in this moment right now where we're we're seeing this kind of very clear difference right between our lived reality and what the description of that is and i think the best example of that is the way that the COVID responses talked about and the way that the tools that we've tried are talked about, right? From the we have the tools discourse to the we need new tools discourse, there is this way of 
sort of portraying the U.S. COVID response as having been this exhaustive effort, right? And that's so absolutely far from the truth, right? But in the ways that it's talked about and the way the sort of language is being made and disseminated to people. And frankly, I mean, everywhere you look, there is something that says, if you care about COVID, you're fucking crazy, right? And yeah. any media outlet, you, you pick one, right? It's very difficult to find a media outlet that doesn't have co- coverage like this, well, right? And, and this is important too, I think, um, because the framing that you're talking about, it's, I think, important to understand and acknowledge that so much of what we have chosen to do about COVID and the changes that have been made over time have been more of omission than out of, you know, making some new tool or something like that. Omission as in stripping away things that we could do. And, you know, and that omission obviously includes rhetorical structures, includes Mm -hmm. stuff like the CDC community levels that we talk about all the time, Mm -hmm. um, leading to this portrayal that, you know, I've even seen in the last, you know, week, week or so, like left is saying like, oh, it's the same as the flu now, right? right? It's not that, it's not that bad. And, you know, you can't really blame people for not being aware that hundreds of people are dying every day, that thousands of people are dying every week. And that as the trend lines seem from hospitalizations and things like that, that it's certainly not going to get better um, before it gets worse in the coming weeks, um, especially if we continue to like do fucking nothing about it. You know, good on Los Angeles for trying to put a mask mandate back, but it's important that that's able to actually happen and not just be proposed and that it's able to stick. Well, and I think that's a good place to leave it for today. To support the show and get access to our weekly bonus episode just for patrons that comes out every Monday, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism, or request it at your local library, and follow us at deathpanel underscore. Patrons will catch you on Monday in the patron feed. For everyone else, we will see you next week. As always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week.
new variants are finding their way into the city. And as it come about, as they come about, we continue to pivot and shift, a term I use all the time. The color-coded system was not fitting the new wave and the new variant and how, as COVID continued to shift. We're now looking at and bringing in experts from all across the globe on finding out how do we continue to prepare New Yorkers and Americans on dealing with the pivoting and shifting of, of COVID.